Get Sleepy is a production of Slumber Studios and is made possible thanks to the generous support of our sponsors and premium members. If you'd like to listen ad-free and access weekly bonus episodes, extra long stories, and our entire back catalogue, you can try out Premium free for seven days by following the link in the episode notes. Now, a quick word from our sponsors. Welcome to Get Sleepy, where we listen, we relax, and we get sleepy. My name's Tom, and it's a pleasure to have your company. Tonight's tale that I'll be reading was written by one of our most prolific contributors to the show, the very talented Alicia Stefan. We're going to travel back in time and sit by the fireside of a 19th century family home in New England in the United States. It's the sparkling first evening of the winter ice harvest, a time during which ordinary farmers and laborers once gathered to pull massive blocks of frozen water out of rivers and lakes in the northern parts of the country. These would then be prepared for shipping across the country and around the world. It was hard work, performed under chilly conditions, but the harvesting of the ice was crucial to the growth of the food trade, that is, until the advent of electric refrigeration. In fact, the heyday of ice harvesting lasted during a very specific period when transportation was advanced but electricity was not. We will pay that fascinating world a visit this evening. Now we love being able to help you all get a good night's sleep, but we couldn't do it without the support of our wonderful Get Sleepy Premium subscribers. It would mean so much to have your support too. In return, we promise to bring you the very best restful listening experience. Get Sleepy Premium features over 650 full-length episodes, dating right back to when we started the show in 2019. Everything is completely ad-free, so you can drift off without interruption, and there are loads of extra-long episodes to keep you company throughout the night. And there's more. Every single Thursday, we release a brand new exclusive bonus episode for all of our premium supporters. Tomorrow, Eric will be guiding a soothing meditation, helping us reflect on our core values and how to align ourselves with them. It's a really beautiful one that you won't want to miss. The first seven days of your premium subscription are free, and you can cancel any time. So why not give it a try and enjoy the best rest you can get? For more information on all of our plans, visit getsleepy.com support or just follow the link in the show notes. So my friends, let's settle in now and enjoy some comfort and relaxation 
together. Adjust your position in bed if you need to, and make sure the covers are keeping you warm and snug. If any areas of the body feel a bit tense or uncomfortable, give them a moment of acknowledgement and reassurance. Perhaps taking a few gentle stretches to soothe away the tension. Eventually, when you're ready, come to a place of stillness, feeling your body sink into the surface below, softening in the safety of this peaceful spot. Next, imagine a slower pace of life. Calm your breathing to match that pace. Inhale deeply, taking several seconds to fill your lungs. Then exhale very slowly, taking even more time than you did on the inhale. Imagine the stress leaving your body with that air. Do this again, one or two more times, until you feel yourself relaxing. Now, picture rolling countryside dotted with barns, churches, and small towns. The forests and fields are currently blanketed in deep winter snow, and the world is hushed. This is where our story begins. It was a frigid day in the very heart of January, and the afternoon sun glittered on the frosty world outside the window. Leaving his wooden chair at the rustic kitchen table, Abel pressed his nose against the glass. He pulled back to observe the smudgy mark he had made scrutinizing the ice crystals that had formed around the edge of the window pane. He was fascinated by their delicate shapes. Each one was different, forming what seemed like a perfectly symmetrical design. 
Craning his neck a little bit, he looked out and upward towards the eaves of the house. Long, clear icicles hung there in a row. He imagined how satisfying it would be to knock them down one by one. He grinned at the thought of taking a stick to them later. But there was no question of going outside right now. His mother called him back to his seat, where he had abandoned his partially empty dinner dish. Sheepishly, he returned to his chair. She told him to please finish his carrots, and then to help with clearing the table. Their late midday meal was drawing to a close, and it was his job to help her with the clean-up. After all, his little sister Annie was still too small to be of any assistance. She was still practically a baby. As he swallowed the last of his vegetables, he watched the little girl across the table, smearing her biscuit around a small plate of maple syrup. Holding up her hands, she tried to lick some of the tasty treat off her fingers, but she seemed to succeed only in depositing more of it onto her face. He had eaten his own biscuits first when they sat down to their dinner, and now he wished he'd had a little more self-control. The sweet maple syrup was a special treat his mother saved for weekends and times when they had guests over. Last year's supply was running out now, and there wouldn't be any more until maple syrup time came again in late March. But today was the first day of the ice harvest, so it was an event worthy of a small celebration. Annie put her hands down on the table and smiled happily at Abel. He couldn't help but respond with a chuckle, and his sister's laughter peeled through the little house. Perhaps it was just her enjoyment of the biscuits, but it felt like everyone was humming with anticipation of the extra income father and his friends were about to earn, working on the river at night. Feeling the infectious good humor, their mother turned to them from the sink a short distance away, and smiled indulgently. Now, Abel, she said with mock sternness, bring me those plates 
and no more nonsense, please. Then she hid her amusement by turning to the wall and resuming her washing of the dishes. When a knock came at the door, father emerged from the bedroom. He opened it quickly, knowing that his friend Mr. Peterson would be standing in the cold air on the doorstep. Having ridden over from his nearby farm, he was sure to be ready to warm himself by their cheerful fire. Sure enough, there he was, with frost on his beard, stamping the snow off his feet. He was a bachelor himself, and very self-conscious that he shouldn't track snow onto mother's immaculate wooden floors. Excited to see a visitor, Abel hastily finished his kitchen chores, carefully delivering the last of the dishes to the sink. Then, as mother washed them, he stood on the side, conscientiously drying each precious item with a soft towel, and putting it in its place in the wooden cupboard. Although he appeared to be fully concentrating on the task at hand, his ears were alert to his father's conversation with Mr. Peterson, as the two men settled in comfortably by the fire. Here, let me take your boots so you can get those socks nice and dry, mother said to their visitor. It'll be no good to go out there tonight in those temperatures with damp feet. Thanking her politely, Mr. Peterson handed over his boots and stretched his feet closer to the hearth. Having set them aside, she went about making some coffee finally releasing Abel from his tedious chores at the sink. Come and sit by the fire with us, Abel, father said with a twinkle in his eye. He knew that his son would be eager to listen in on the conversation among the adults. The area where they lived was populated with small farms, and the weather made neighborly visits less frequent at this time of year. Just to see a new face was exciting, let alone to hear any local news the friend may have brought along. Abel pulled over a stool and settled in his favorite spot not too close to the crackling fireplace, but near enough to feel its glow. His dinner left him feeling pleasantly full, 
and having all these grown-ups around in a good mood made him feel safe and warm. The two men discussed the recent activities of the holiday season, the plans a neighbor had for a new barn, and the prospects for the crops during the coming year. Mr. Peterson had managed to produce enough corn last year that he'd made some extra money selling some of it to a cannery. Father nodded thoughtfully as Mr. Peterson spoke of how popular canned corn had become, and urged his friend to consider planting more. Abel himself had made some money the previous fall, husking corn at a neighbor's farm. He had been so proud to bring his earnings home to his parents, who had saved them in a special jar, saying it would help them out on a rainy day. Between raking blueberries, picking apples, and shucking corn, summer and early fall were definitely the busiest season for the folks in the area. Almost everyone had a couple of dairy cows, and Abel was responsible for helping with milking and caring for their own family cows year round. Mother also kept chickens, which provided them with enough eggs that she was able to sell a few here and there, using the money from the surplus to buy other things. But winter was definitely a slow season for everyone on the farm, and that's why the ice harvest was so welcome in January. The conversation between the men turned back to the weather, and father commented that the abnormally cold temperatures would be worth it for making the ice harvest even better. Mr. Peterson nodded his head in agreement briefly swaying backwards in the rocking chair and raising his chin to thoughtfully regard the ceiling. Turning to Abel, his father explained why. You see, son, the ice has to be a certain thickness before it's safe to start the harvest. He paused meaningfully, as if urging Abel to remember this important information. Eager to show his attentiveness, the boy nodded his head vigorously up and down. His father continued. At least sixteen inches, he said, maybe eighteen. You see, 
Not only do the blocks have to be of a certain size in order to be stored and shipped, but you have to make sure it's safe for all those men and horses to be out there weighing down the ice. Abel nodded again thoughtfully. He pictured the scene that was about to play out on nearby lakes and on the river, where men and horses would be gathering in the night. Just think, Abel, Mr. Peterson said, leaning over intently. A twenty-two-inch square block that is more than a foot thick can weigh about two hundred and fifty to three hundred and fifty pounds. He stopped and raised his eyebrows dramatically as Abel pondered the sheer size of it. An area the size of an acre can produce as much as a thousand tons of ice. Leaning back and folding his hands, he added, Do you know how many pounds there are in a ton? Mother crossed the room, carrying Annie off to the bedroom. Her afternoon nap was a bit later today, thanks to their unusual dinner time. As she passed, Abel's mother smiled with amusement at this unexpected test of her son's lessons. Abel screwed up his face in concentration, but his mind drew a blank. Laughing with good nature, his father let him off the hook. It's two thousand pounds, Abel. There are two thousand pounds in a ton, and an acre of ice can give up a thousand of those. Just think of it. Abel's head was truly boggled by the notion. This mathematical problem was far beyond what he had encountered at school so far. Delighted by his role as storyteller, Mr. Peterson continued with the lesson. Now, lots of towns around here will be cutting ice and saving it for the locals, he said. You can pull your ice out of this or that pond or lake anywhere around here. Your local ice house is dependable. It will keep ice for up to a year until it's cold enough to cut more out of the waterway. But a small town ice house is also not that big. Let's say it only holds 10 tons, or 20 or 30 at the most. Abel nodded. He had seen such a place before. It had appeared awfully large to him, 
but not enough to hold a thousand tons for sure. Mr. Peterson went on. That's why the really big harvesting operations aren't for keeping local ice. In fact, thanks to our cold climate, people from all over the country count on the far reaches of New England to keep their meat pies cold sometimes. The ice may fail further south of here, one year or another, but they can always count on us northerners for their fix. He nodded and winked, and Abel smiled. He was proud to live somewhere so desirable. People depended on his hometown, he thought. As if following his train of thought, his father turned to Mr. Peterson and chimed in on the conversation. And of course, the ice we make here isn't just used for people's fancy ice boxes. It's also the reason they can have fresh fish, for example. Mr. Peterson nodded sagely, acknowledging father's excellent point. Very true, he said. Then, turning back to Abel, he added, Before folks figured out how to chill cargo with ice on ships and trains and barges, you really couldn't send anything very far without it spoiling. Abel had never thought about this. For him, eating fresh blueberries or seafood was a normal part of life. But what about children who lived far away, in crowded cities, or in the Great Plains? Where did their seafood come from? Or what if nobody in their neighborhood had a dairy cow? He had truly never considered how their food got to them. Mr. Peterson broke into his reverie by saying, when railroad cars ship food across the country, that cargo needs to be re-iced pretty often just to keep the contents cool. In the summer, it can be every two to three hundred miles. Abel tried to picture the ice melting in these railroad cars and then being replaced with frosty new blocks. But Mr. Peterson had an even more surprising bit of information for him to process. You know, Abel, these big businessmen in places like Boston don't just sell ice to Americans either. They send it as far away as places like India and Brazil. 
Someone way out in the tropics can get an apple we picked right here in New England. And it's all because of the ice that's there to chill it. Well, this was a truly mind-boggling revelation, Abel thought. That something like an apple, a snack he would grab off of a tree on his way home from school, could be sent as far away as the tropics. The modern age was full of miracles, he told himself wonderingly. Father and Mr. Peterson were talking again. Abel refocused on their conversation to hear what they would say. I gather the demand from the cities is booming. I hear they've been storing ice all along the Hudson River, Father said. Mr. Peterson nodded saying, I read they've got more than a hundred warehouses along there now. They're using barges to send the ice downstream. I suppose from there, they can export it wherever it needs to go. Abel was distracted by Mother's return to the kitchen. She had finally got Annie down for her nap. He watched her as she crossed to the counter and removed a fresh cider cake from the cupboard. He wiggled in his seat, excited to see that they'd be having a special treat. He knew that she would take great pride in ensuring Father and Mr. Peterson were well fortified against the cold weather when they left for the ice harvest in a little while. Peering at the window, he saw that twilight was falling. It came so early at this time of year. The light was already leaching from the sky by a little after 4 p.m. Turning to his father, he asked what time the ice harvest would start. Mother appeared between the two older men and offered each of them a plate with a healthy slice of cake. Then, with a knowing smile, she told Abel he could come and fetch a slice for himself. Father left his son's question momentarily unanswered as he and Mr. Peterson took a bite of their dessert and mumbled their approval to his mother. She beamed saying something about how it was just a cider cake and nothing special. But Abel knew she was happy to hear their praise. Mother was well known in the area for her excellent bakes, 
she always told him the secret to a good cider cake was knowing when to stop adding the spice. Mother told Abel to eat his cake at the table, so he cheated his chair to the side and repeated his question. When does the ice harvest start, father? Pausing with his plate on his knee, father nodded. Well, you see, Abel, night is the best time to pull the ice out of the water. Sure, there are places where they'll harvest around the clock, but really, the ice is thickest at night. Abel nodded. This made sense. Night was the coldest time. Everyone knew that. His father continued. When you're harvesting ice, you want a good quality product. First of all, the very best ice, the stuff that fetches the highest price, is as clear as glass. Mr. Peterson nodded in wise agreement and took another bite of his cake, following it with a sip of the hot coffee that was now steaming on the small table next to him. We take great pride in our ice here, Mr. Peterson added. I believe our ice is so clear a fellow could read a newspaper through it. At this, both he and father laughed quietly, conscious of the fact that Annie was slumbering peacefully in the room next door. That's the truth, father agreed. Mr. Peterson went on. If your ice is all cloudy and porous, they can still use it, mind you. But that's the lower grade ice they stick on rail cars and in food shipments. It's less likely to end up on some fancy dining table somewhere in the city. Abel tried to imagine a fancy dining table, and all he could picture was a white tablecloth with lots and lots of cider cakes. Then his father said, Mr. Peterson and I will head out there in a little while. It will take us about half an hour to get to the harvest site, and there will be many men and teams of horses arriving with kerosene lamps. Peering out the window, Mr. Peterson added, and a fine night for it. He nodded at the window pane and cocked an eyebrow at Abel. See those clear skies? It'll be extremely helpful for all of us trying to see what we're doing out there if we have the moon to light our way. 
Abel understood, thinking how glad he was that Mother Nature was cooperating to make the night better for the ice cutters. He scraped the last crumbs from his plate and returned to the sink to wash his dish. Having dried it and put it away, Abel scampered back to his seat at the crackling fire. He had more questions. So what do you do when you get to the harvest site? He asked them inquisitively. Father made an appreciative face, showing he thought this was a fine question. Then he said, Different men take on different jobs, and we work as a team with the horses. First, there are those workers who drag great scrapers across the ice. This is to clear off the snow and any other debris that might make it hard to see what we're doing. Abel nodded. This seemed very logical. His father went on. Then the foreman will test the ice to make sure it's deep enough. He has a tool called an ice auger to drill a hole, and a long sharp rod he inserts into the ice, which pulls out a sample. After he has determined that the ice is thick enough, they bring in men who have horses hitched up to special plows. These horses have spikes on their shoes for traction, and the plows have cutters on them. They don't cut deeply into the ice, they score it just enough so that we can divide the ice into blocks that are all about the same size. Do you remember how big that is? Abel frowned, trying to remember what they'd talked about earlier. Then he brightened up and said, Twenty-two inches. His father beamed. He was proud of Abel. Yes, twenty-two inches or so. Well, the horses make a few passes at those lines to get them nice and deep. What do you think, Peterson? He said, leaning his head towards his friend. Four passes? Mr. Peterson nodded in agreement. Father continued. Once those horses have left a good deep mark on the ice, the real work is left to the men. We have a collection of breaking bars, forks and chisels that help us deepen the clefts of the plow. There's really no easy way to do it. You just have to use your strength and throw your back into the work.
Abel grinned and said, I bet you do that part, don't you, father? The two older men chuckled. Yes, we do, Abel. Then Mr. Peterson squinted and leaned forward. But you know what my favorite tool is? Abel shook his head. It's the five-foot saw, Mr. Peterson said dramatically, spreading his arms far apart. Abel had seen the impressive saws used in the ice harvest, and he knew that wielding them must take a lot of strength. Casting a glance at Mother, who was tidying up in the kitchen, Mr. Peterson said, Eat your greens, and someday you'll be strong enough to use the ice saw, Abel. His mother laughed and nodded. Abel wrinkled his nose. Father leaned back in his chair and shook his head. The first chunk of the ice is the worst. You've got to pry it up out of a solid sheet of ice. But once you get some open water to move things around, you can just chisel one block after the other off the ice and float it towards the shore. Mr. Peterson rolled his eyes comically and exclaimed, Maybe we should make ourselves late so we can let someone else do the hard work. Both men laughed they would never shirk the challenge. Abel knew that. Every man in town took pride in contributing equally to difficult tasks. No, no, father said with a smile. We all help each other out around here. Did you know that the harvesting of the ice is also a boon to the loggers? Abel was surprised by this, and waited to hear why. He knew the answer would be forthcoming. Yes, Mr. Peterson nodded. Think about it. When you've packed up that ice, first in the ice house, and later on a ship that is sailing across the world, or a train that is traveling cross-country. How do you think that ice stays cold? To be sure, it helps to pack it solidly with other ice, and they do that, but it's also insulated. And what do you think they pile on top of it, ten or twelve inches deep? Mr. Peterson paused with his eyebrows raised, waiting for Abel to take a guess. Wood? 
Abel suggested. Both men burst out laughing. Well, that's a good guess, since I mentioned the loggers, Mr. Peterson said. But it's not big pieces of wood they use. It's the sawdust. Instantly, Abel realized that would have been a much more intelligent answer. He blushed and nodded. Well, there's no shame in not knowing the value of sawdust, father said kindly. In fact, it didn't have much value until the Icemen started using it for insulation. Now, it's a perfect way to use what was just a waste product before. Yep, they layer that ice under the sawdust, and it keeps pretty cold in the ice house. They call it sleeping ice while it lies in wait. Abel smiled at this idea. Sleeping ice, he thought to himself. He liked the thought of this noble product of the north, slumbering quietly in the cool darkness of the ice houses, waiting to go on an adventure to warmer climes. The men looked up, noticing that Annie had already finished her brief nap and was quietly playing with some measuring cups at the table. Mother was busy packing a little basket of biscuits and ham for the men to take with them. It would be time for them to leave soon, and they'd need something to eat during the night. Father reminded Abel that he had to go outside quickly and take care of his evening chores before it got too dark. That time was coming very soon. Abel hustled outside so that he could feed the chickens and fill the wood box as fast as possible. He didn't want Father and Mr. Peterson to leave for the river before he was done. He returned just in time to see the men putting on their coats, hats, and mufflers. Mother handed back Mr. Peterson's boots, and he thanked her graciously. Say goodbye then, Abel, his mother told him. They'll be back before daybreak, but you'll likely be asleep then. Abel hugged father around the legs, feeling the nubbly wool of his coat against his cheek. He breathed in deeply. It smelt like the outdoors and fresh snow. Mr. Peterson leaned down and extended his hand. 
Abel shook it firmly. All right, young Abel, he said jovially. Think of us out there, scoring and cutting the icy treasure while you're snoozing peacefully in your bed. Then he winked at the boy and added, I'll be lying in front of the fire in my bedroll when you get up. Abel nodded. He didn't want to sleep. He couldn't wait until breakfast, when Father and Mr. Peterson would be back with stories from the night. He could already imagine the eggs sizzling on the stove and the smell of hot coffee, the kitchen table bathed in morning sunlight. With a final wave, the two men soon disappeared into the night, trudging across the expanse of moonlit white snow. Looking upwards, Abel marveled at how many stars he could see. It would indeed be a fine night for ice harvesting. He was proud of the work his father and Mr. Peterson were about to do. Later that evening, Mother read him a story and tucked him into the little bed in the room he shared with Annie. This was one of his favorite parts of the day. On one hand, he didn't usually feel ready to go to bed when Mother said it was time. On the other, he almost always found he was sleepy soon after nestling down into his pillow. He loved the cozy feeling of snuggling there, with his mother's quilt pulled up around his ears. The fabric on the quilt was from all the little scraps of their old clothing, and it was as soft as could be. When she gently closed the door behind her, wishing him a good sleep, he could see the firelight flickering low underneath it. He knew that she would also be in bed soon, although she might mend something, swaying in the rocking chair by the hearth, or read a little bit from a book first. And sometime in the dark wee hours of the morning, the men would return, cold and tired, from the ice harvest, trying not to wake the house. Abel yawned deeply and turned over, hiking the patchwork quilt 
up to his ears. Closing his eyes, he imagined the scene on the river. Men, horses, and kerosene lamps littered over the ice as they scored and chipped and chiseled it into those massive blocks. Then, in his mind's eye, they floated away, big squares of frigid treasure, and were loaded into a barge, or maybe straight into an ice house. There, they would sleep for a while. Some of the ice would end up in a fabulously exciting place. Boston, New York City, Philadelphia. And then, one early morning, an ice delivery man would get up with the sunrise, feed his horse, clean the harnesses, and begin taking ice around to all the fancy houses for their ice boxes. The trusty iceman would see a card in the window of each place, telling him how much ice they needed, and then he might go on their porch, open up the little trap door to the back of their fancy icebox, and place it inside. And there, the ice would do its work, chilling their milk, their meat, and their produce, day and night. A gift from New England. Abel liked this idea. For just a moment, he considered if he might like to go to the big city someday and become an iceman. How people must love you, he thought sleepily if you bring them something so important. But then, his thoughts fuzzy with sleep. He decided that he would not become an iceman. He would rather go and work with Father and Mr. Peterson, doing the important job of harvesting the ice. One of these days, in a few years, he would leave with a biscuit and ham supper in his dinner pail, and go to the river to do this work. But not now. At this moment, little Abel would ease off to sleep, 
he would drift slowly down the cold, silent river. He would travel south in his dreams, taking the bounty of the ice harvest to the places where it was needed by the world.